New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What about the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. I'm your host, John Siegley. I'm joined, as always, by Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran. We are sponsored by JohnnyTShirt and JohnnyTShirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. Also, if you are listening to this podcast, if you want to really help out Inside Carolina, make sure that you give us a rating on whatever method you are using to listen to this podcast, especially if you're listening on on the Apple podcast, iTunes. Uh, If you can rate us there, leave a review as well. We are really trying to get feedback from the listener base so that anything that you guys can do, we really, really appreciate it here at Inside Carolina. Guys, for this week's show, Kind of have a limited topic, but it's a it's one that we can get a lot of depth out of because 247 released their final rankings for the basketball 2020 recruits, and Carolina had a lot of movement. Now, the message board talked about this for a while, but let's go ahead and start it off going player by player with Caleb Love, UNC's point guard, who had a huge rise. He is now a top 10 recruit, number six overall. Sean, let's start it off with you. When you saw that Caleb rose that high, what was your reaction? I figured he would definitely rise up. I, I didn't expect him to go up to uh, number six, but I guess that's a, a pleasant surprise, but at the same time puts a lot of high expectations on him. And we've seen at times what's happened with those expectations with Nas Little getting a big bump up at the end. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's deserved. You know, right now in some of the mock drafts, he's a, a top 10 pick. I think we saw a lot of improvement from him. I think Sherelle was mentioning this offline, uh, but – this time last year, I don't think he even had an offer or maybe he had just received an offer. So a lot has changed in a year and it's fun to ponder, you know, if all the high school all-star games had gone on, would he have dominated and gotten them bump up or, you know, is it maybe too aggressive? But in terms of, uh, you know, him coming into UNC, he's going to be handed the ball. So he's going to have the opportunity to show that off. And I think in terms of his size and skill set, um, you know, definitely is, is well-deserving of a top 10 uh, placement. So, Sherelle, we saw on the message board a couple of the actual 247 evaluators talk about love, and their consensus was that his athleticism and raw talent, like Sean j- just talked about, I mean, that's undeniable. But it sounds as if he's really worked on the point guard skills, and that's what led to him now being a top 10 recruit. What are your thoughts on just the development that you have seen Love go through over the last couple of years? Uh, it's been pretty phenomenal. And, and to Sean's point, uh, I think he got the offer May 19th or May 18th of 2019. So for our purposes, he didn't really get on our radar until I think about a year and a half ago. We maybe, I think it was like last January, January 2019, mm-hmm. that we did an intro story. <clears throat> and at that time, the kind of word that everyone gave, like all the national guys and people from the Missouri area was that, this is a guy who's really athletic, who 
um, needs to work on his shot and maybe isn't a point guard. That was, that was the word pretty much from everybody. And uh, I think it, like you said, it just shows how much he's worked on it. Um, and we, we've talked about this several times, but it's just been over the last court, over the course of the last year, I think USA basketball in July, again, we've talked about it, but I think that was a big moment for him because he was seen by so many of the national scouts and um, so many influencers who, you know, have some sway when it comes to rankings and when it comes to uh, all these all-star games and everything. So I, I think that was a big moment for him and his confidence. You can just tell he's a much more confident player than he was last year. And he wasn't, it's not that he lacked for confidence last year. I just think um, he knows that he's gotten better. He knows he's really good and he's, he's been showing it. And, you know, for a long time when uh, North Carolina was trying to finish this class, we talked about, well, Kate Cunningham is so much farther ahead of everyone else when it comes to kind of being a lead guard or a primary, primary facilitator. And while, you know, I think Cunningham is probably the better player right now, I, I think there are some who would say that maybe Caleb Love, you know, has as much upside as anyone. And mm. you're talking about now going from the number one player to the number six, kind of the gap of the point guard North Carolina miss versus the, the lead guard he got. And so the gap isn't as, as wide, I guess, as you would say, if you had gotten the, um, you know, missing out on the number one kind of primary facilitator in Cade and say getting the number 20 point guard or number 21 overall player in love. So just that, that movement shows that maybe there's not as big of a gap as there was and that North Carolina isn't missing as much as it thought it might have by not getting Kate Cunningham. So I remember we had the conversation early, early on if when UNC was still recruiting Cade Cunningham, if Cunningham and Love could actually play together in the same backcourt. Um, and I remember both of you guys were kind of just going back and forth on that. But now, I guess, the, to kind of wrap it up on, on Caleb Love, in this class, knowing what Carolina has leaving, if you had to pick one of the six guys to be a top ten recruit, would it be Caleb Love? So in other words, if, if you're going to pick the gym, the, the stud blue chip guy, in my opinion, I think it, is, it does need to be the point guard for this particular class. What's your take on that, Sean? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we've seen uh, the last two years between Cole and, and Kobe in terms of the load that they've had to shoulder. Uh, once again, we, we always talk about how important the point guard is to North Carolina and pushing transition, which we didn't really see this year, but we saw the year before. And, you know, really how important it is to just to make the team go. Um, so, yes, I, I definitely agree in terms of having the best player in the class at that position definitely makes a whole lot of sense. And, you know, as, as Sherell mentioned, you know, he talked about July and I got to see him in October at USA. And, and even there he was playing on the ball point guard full time. Um, you know, I think a few things that I've noticed in going back and watching some old clips as well, he, you know, his, his three point percentage in EYBL was I think around 30, 31% in high school, 35, but he was, pretty comfortable from from the college three-point line already back then so I, I think that won't be a big adjustment and I think he will be able to knock down shots you know probably not like Kobe uh, but you know definitely at a high rate and then at the same time he's really strong attacking with his left hand and either pulling up or getting to the basket so you know for for a player to be an impact guy for UNC uh, point guard is definitely the spot coming in. Yeah, John, that's a great point, his three-point percentage. Uh, if you look at it, we were, we were kind of tracking it through the year in high school, and there was a point where it was up around 40, and then I think the competition kind of ramped up a little bit and it dipped down a little bit. And then towards the end of the season, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was like 38 or 39%. 
And with the team he's playing with in high school, it's not like he's getting open shots or anything. Pretty much everything is, you know, hesitation, crossover, step back three. Um, the range that he's displayed both in high school and in AAU has been really, really impressive. And we, we always talk about how sometimes shooting doesn't carry over to college. I think it will with him. His shot looks, to me, it looks pretty good. I'm not a scout by any means, but it, it looks pretty good. And then the fact that he can launch it from so many angles, I think is important as well. Because uh, if you, I would encourage everyone uh, during this downtime to just go look at um, not just highlights, but some of his high school games. If you look hard enough on YouTube, you can find them and you can just see um, uh, how he's able to create space. Like space creation and shot creation is kind of the in thing in NBA circles now. And he is, you know, really excellent at both of those. And that's going to be important uh, because he's going to have a lot of space, uh, you know, to, to kind of work with as North Carolina either, uh, go small, um, you know, saying put one big man in at a time, or if they go big, he's going to have to create on the perimeter. So I, I think he has an opportunity there um, to really, you know, get it, get his shots, get his shots off. And the, what you said about Kobe isn't, um, I, I don't think it's that far off because Kobe was really, really good at that. To kind of just, uh, you know, a, a jab step or behind the back just to get, you know, just a, an inch or two is all he needed to, to get a shot off. And Caleb definitely has that, that feel to him as well. Yeah, you know, well, actually, a question for you, Shrill. I mean, how do you think uh, he's going to be in terms of pushing the pushing the pace? I think Kobe was really good at it. Cole, you know, not not so much. Um, when I did watch him in AAU, he was very content, just slowly dribbling the ball up. Now, part of that was probably how the team wanted to play, but also part of that was kind of comfort level. Um, so I think, you know. I'm curious your take on how you think he'll be in transition. I think it'll probably be a little bit of an adjustment period. And I kind of think uh, RJ might be the one that's a little more, um, you know, able to push the tempo. But I, I think that, you know, in terms of things to look out for, I would say that in terms of the transition and trying to get UNC back into that top, you know, 20, 20 style. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to say, oh, I want to play fast. And then you have to actually do it. And the, the endurance and the conditioning that it takes, which, you know, is a caveat. But the fact that they're not going to have summer conditioning with, you know, the strength and conditioning staff in Chapel Hill, it, it might not seem like a big deal. But the way they ramp up to their final conditioning stuff right before practice starts in late September, you need from what I've been told, you need all that stuff to be ready. So uh, it, it's going to be a, a strange situation for them coming in, you know, hopefully in best case scenario, coming in in August and kind of jumping in from a conditioning standpoint. But to answer your first question, like I think we're realizing more and more that Kobe White's aren't really born every day. <laughs> like, he was a rare case where the, the fit was just so perfect. And there was just like harmony in the offensive system because if there's one thing Roy Williams wants his teams to do, it's run. If there's one thing that Kobe White did excellent above all else, it was get up and down the court. And I think with Cole, that's just not how he played. And I think, you know, it, it showed up partly because he was having to play a lot of minutes and there weren't a ton of offensive options aside from him. So kind of had to conserve. I think Caleb uh, will be in the middle of those two. I think he has the ability to push, maybe not quite as good as Kobe White, but he has the ability to really, really push tempo. It's just that, he hasn't had to, or um, like you said, kind of a comfort level thing. Uh, so maybe the beginning of the season, it's not quite where Williams wants it to be, but I think, you know, game 15, game 10, somewhere around there, he'll start to kind of get it. And I think they can get back into um, the, the high range of, of uh, possessions per game. All right, guys, great stuff. 
Moving on to the next recruit, Dayron Sharp, who saw his ranking go down by just two spots, but still, he was number 18. Now he's at number 20. I think that Sharp is actually a really, really good player, especially in this Roe Williams-style offense. I know both of you guys have raved about him during the last year or so. So, Sean, since uh, Cheryl just got done talking about love, let's hand it over to you. When you're looking at Sharp, I mean, it was a slight dip, but he's still a top 25 overall recruit. Do you think that's about where you would rank him if you were if you were trying to see where he falls in the class? Yeah, I mean, right now he's ranked number 20, as you mentioned, went down two spots. Uh, you know, I, I think that's maybe a, a little low. And, and once again, it goes back to rankings. And is it based on college production, you know, potential college production or potential NBA and, and total production? And that's probably where he got knocked a little bit. So I think the big discussion was seeing uh, Duke recruit Mark Williams jump up 15 spots to, to number 16. And I remember watching the City of Palms game. Uh, and, and then I also went back and watched the third time they played just before this podcast. And I think in terms of who's going to be the more productive player next year, I don't think there's any question it's going to be sharp in terms of an overall skill set. Um, but you know, one thing, even, even in that game, which was in February, he started the game off and he had two threes and one year ago, that wasn't something you got to, uh, you know, you got to see from him. So I think really over the last two, three years, every time Sharp plays, you see something different. Um, he, he runs the floor really hard. He's a great rebounder. I think a really underrated passer. Um, and once again, he's, he's been expanding his, his shot to where he's comfortable shooting from. 18, 19 feet. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I do think 20 is a, a little too low. It is five star, but once again, I'd rather have, you know, maybe some, a guy that's a little underrated coming in rather than, than overrated. And I think that that could be sharp next year. Now, um, you know, one other thing to add is obviously there's, there's Brooks and, and Baycott there. So it's not like he's coming into, you know, 35 minutes of playing time, but I definitely think in terms of, you know, a second recruit, you know, he, he improves every time he goes, and, and I think he should be probably a little higher than number 20. We'll come back to you about the, uh, the, the Williams thing because the, the message board was very, very hot about that as well. But, Sherelle, I know that you've sung Sharp's praises a lot. How do you think he fits into the system? I mean, is it really as good as what a lot of fans think it could be? Oh, for sure. And that's why they offered him so early um, because with big men, you just need a couple of signs that say they can be good and you can go ahead and take a chance on them. So uh, he had just finished his 10th grade year when UNC offered and it's like, okay, can he catch the ball is one thing you look at. He does that pretty well. Um, does he have decent footwork? It doesn't have to be great footwork in, in 10th grade, but does he have, you know, decent footwork and he had that. And then the kid is, you know, he's got that, for lack of a better phrase, country strong thing going on where it's just like they, you know, he wakes up out of bed and he probably just can lift, you know, whatever. Um, Cause he's got that. And then he's a smart player and then he, you know, he plays hard. Um, so we add all that together, you know, he has a very, very high floor. I think is what I would say about Sharp. His, his ceiling maybe is not as high as someone like Walker Kessler or even to me, Armando Baycott, but uh, I think he has the highest floor. Like he, he will always be a solid player no matter what. He may not ever be the best player on the team. He may not ever be an All-American or anything like that. Um, I'm not saying he won't, but he may not be. But he'll always be really good. And I, I think uh, for next year, 
his job is going to be to, to, to block shots, run from rim to rim, and grab rebounds. Anything that he can give them offensively I think will be great. Um, <clears throat> but that's the main thing. It's just his offense I think will come from just him outworking people and uh, having a big like him potentially coming off the bench and going against another team's, you know, second big. Uh, I think he'll, he'll fare really well in that situation. Um, so I, I look at it, I know we're going to get to Walker Kessler next, but since we're talking about the Mark Williams, Dayron Sharp thing, I, I look at it as in, in tears. And um, it's, it's always how I try to do it because it's, it is very hard to differentiate between 16 and, and 22 or whatever. You know, much credit to the national guys who do it because it's kind of a thankless job because everybody thinks you don't like their particular player or don't like their particular school. And I, I think, um, you know, it just takes a lot of time to watch all that film and see players over years. It is the culmination of like four years of scouting for all these guys. And, you know, they, they want to make sure that history looks on them right. So they're going to weigh different things. Um, you know, as far as NBA is concerned, they're going to weigh, uh, just going to weigh a lot of stuff. So all that to say, to me, it's like there should be kind of a category for like, okay, this is an elite NBA one and done. If there wasn't a rule, wouldn't go to college type guy. And I'd say in any given class, there are like seven to 10 of those maybe. That's probably on the high side. And then after that, I think you probably can go from like 11 or 12 to about 35 or 40. And you just don't know what you're going to get. They're all kind of in the same um, space because guys mature differently. They have different opportunities at different schools. Some guys have better systems they fit into. And so I just look at it that way. So I don't, I try not to get too concerned about the individual ranking and, and just say, do I think this player is in the right tier? And I think that Dayron Sharp and Walker Kessler are in the right tier. Now, could they be higher in the tier? Sure. But I think they're kind of in the right slot, for lack of a better term. I think Caleb Love is as well. So that's, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, Cause I know there is some, um, not great feelings about how uh, both of them, amongst the Carolina fan base, great feelings about how Caleb Love moved up and how R.J. Davis moved up and how Kerwin Walton moved up, but not great feelings about how Kessler and Sharp moved down a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of, of Mark Williams, you know, looking at him, once again, I think, you know, who would Carolina rather have, Sharp or Mark Williams? I think Sharp all day, every day. I do think Williams is kind of the perfect big for uh, Duke system because he's a lot less skilled offensively. Um, he's, he's good catching the ball around the basket or off of cuts or, you know, without the ball in his hand. So, you know, they're going to have all their guards and wings taking 85, 90% of the shots and he can just set picks, run to the rim, clean up. And, you know, he is athletic. So if, if you're just to look at the player, if you were just to look at him running down the floor, you'd probably say, Oh, you know, I, I like Mark Williams more. He, he, run, he runs a little more smoothly. But, you know, when it comes down to playing hard and, and having skill, um, it's definitely Dayron. But then, once again, you get to the NBA comparisons. And is it Mark Williams with his, you know, being seven foot and, you know, maybe a, a little bouncier? I don't really think he is. But, you know, maybe a little better shot blocker and a rim runner versus Baldwin, or, um, Sharp, who has a really long wingspan, impressed the NBA scouts in October. Um, so I think it's, you know, very different players going to be interesting. I think Sharp outplayed him in their, their head-to-head matchups. Um, and, and some of the times Williams didn't even really make a present. So once again, I, you know, I'd rather have Sharp on the team. Um, and if he's ranked lower, I think that's fine. But I'd rather have Sharp in college than, than Mark Williams. 
I think most Carolina fans would also would also share that sentiment, especially the the head to head uh, that you mentioned there, Sean, because Sharp definitely got the better of Williams. Uh, I think it was what three times total that they played for. Yeah, through uh, City of Palms, uh, Hoop Hall, and then another time up in up in DC. Okay. I believe. Yep. So, guys, let's go ahead, though, and take a very quick commercial break to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. We always talk about them on Inside Carolina because they are awesome. They are great friends and longtime sponsors of Inside Carolina. If you need anything Tar Heel related, make sure that you shop at GiantT-Shirt.com where they have an amazing selection and also first-rate customer service. They're also a local business, so please, please, please help support them, especially in these tough times. And don't forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders either there online at GiantT-Shirt.com or eventually back at their Franklin Street location. So remember, GiantT-Shirt, GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. So, guys, moving on to Walker Kessler. He saw a bit of a steeper drop uh, than Dayron Sharp. His ranking went down to 25, where he was number 13. And reading kind of the analysis that Inside Carolina provided, it sounds as if with Kessler, a lot of it just is really what type of college player will he be? You can see that there's a lot of raw talent there. He's obviously very skilled. But I think there are question marks about what the finished product is going to look like. So, Sherelle, were you at all a little bit maybe worried or thrown off when you saw that Kessler dropped out of the teens and is holding on to that number 25 spot? Yeah, I was a little surprised. And just because he's been consistently in kind of that, I guess, like 12 to 18 range, basically his entire high school career. And uh, we saw him a couple times last year. Uh, have really good games, especially the Jabari Smith game in the state uh, semifinals down in Georgia. I mean, it was from people we trust who were there, and then you can see the highlights. It was a really epic battle between those two guys. And, you know, Smith is a top five player in the 2021 class, who Sean's talked about a ton um, (laughs) over the last year. He's really good. You know, could be one of those guys who gets looked at for the G League next year. But we're not, you know, it's not chopped liver that Kessler was going against down there, like a really good player. And they both had phenomenal games. And I think um, just it's probably a lack of visibility, maybe hurt Walker a little bit. Um, he didn't play that much with USA as much as, as other people. You know, he was on the Adidas circuit, which is a, a good circuit. It's just not EYBL. EYBL kind of uh, sucks all the air out of the room, for lack of a better phrase, because it's so uh, deep with talent. Whereas Adidas has comparable top talent it doesn't have the depth that EYBL does so I think that's part of it he plays for a small private school in Atlanta so I think that's part of it and so you add all that together um, coupled with the questions that they had which I I think were you know legitimate when you're looking at it through an NBA lens about uh, you know playing defense and and switching on ball screens and that kind of thing I can understand why they made the move Um, and again all credit to those guys because they see all these players um, and um, they watch them for years, but I, I probably personally, I probably wouldn't have made that move just because I think Kessler's shown over the course of the last two or three years that he is an elite player and that his ranking, I think they had it right before. Um, but I, you know, I understand the reasoning. I just don't necessarily agree with it. So Sean, I think a lot of Carolina fans, when they were looking at Walker Kessler, the former Tar Heel player that came to mind was Tyler Zeller. But I think Kessler is probably a better, I think, 
probably not <laughs> probably is not not the correct word I think Kessler is definitely a better outside shooter than Zeller at this point in their careers but do you see any kind of similarity between Kessler and Zeller just in terms of their game skills things like that I, I think yeah definitely a little bit in terms of their their skill level because you know they're both both you know Luke, we had Luke May, who was, you know, 6'8", and he could step outside and shoot it. And, and these guys are, you know, Kessler's listed at, at 7 feet, so, you know, six, really 6'10 six, and above, and, and they can step outside and shoot. You know, I think for Zeller, the great – and this wasn't his freshman year, but the great thing about watching him is that you threw it to him in the post, and he had his little turnaround, which was automatic, and you, you ran him in the pick and roll, and you hit him from, you know, just inside the three-point line, and he was pretty much – automatic um but um you know I think right now Kessler that's one of his main strengths coming in and you know I think for him I would say the weight training and weight program that he gets in and the conditioning is gonna I think play a big part in in how he how he does you know right now I could see him trying to firm up a little bit and you know I remember watching him this was uh the summer going into his junior year and you know, he, he was moving, he wasn't as big, but didn't have as much weight. He was moving really well. I feel like he might have lost a little bit of that, you know, just with the, the added size and, and bulk. So, you know, if, if he's able to just kind of trim up and get it a little stronger in, in the weight program, which we've seen everybody pretty much do, so that shouldn't be a, a concern. Um, you know, outside shooting, the one thing for me is the, the percentages. I think, you know, at least in high school, Maybe Sherrill can correct me, but I don't think they were that high from the three-point line. But you do see a nice release and a nice stroke, you know, a little slow. Um, so I could see maybe a little bit of an adjustment there with the speed and athleticism, especially in the ACC. And then, you know, I think the, another thing for him is, once again, we've talked about all the time, is how many bigs they have. They have, they have four very strong bigs. So he's going to be coming in and – you know, how much rope does Coach Williams give him at first? Is it a few minutes? And he has to produce in those few minutes to, you know, get playing time in the second half. And, you know, that can be kind of tough where you might only have one shot to, to do something. But I think over the course of time, he's going to be really good. Um, a very, you know, inside-outside threat, seven feet, long arms. And, you know, at, at whatever level, he's going to have, have a very high playing career. So, at, you know, 25 is 25 too low yeah I think maybe 20 um but once again I think they're looking at kind of the athleticism angle and you know it's hard to tell you know last thing for him he would have been at the hoop summit I think he was one of the surprise uh picks on that team and you know with that you have 12 guys on the team all the NBA scouts are there watching you and that would have been a a good uh, good spot so you know I I, I think He'll be fun to watch, but maybe a little slower to come along than, than Sharp. Uh, about the, the shooting uh, part of it, yeah, his numbers weren't great. But we talked to, uh, we call it a source close to Kessler, um, for a weekly scoop a couple of weeks back. And basically what they said was is that his arms are still growing. And so, you know, now he's like seven, one and a half, and his wingspan is like something absurd, like seven, five and a half, seven, six, something like that. And the person said that pretty much for every like half inch, you have to reteach how to shoot. And it took him like adjusting to himself kind of um, in season um, as far as his growth to get his shot back where it needed to be. And that he shot a much higher percentage during the second part um, of the season. And so, <clears throat> I, I, again, we don't expect anyone, let alone 
a seven one big man to come in and shoot you know a great percentage from three their freshman year but I think just the threat of it from him will open up so much stuff for Garrison uh, Brooks and Armando Baycott and, and De'Ron Sharp and that's something like you said they've missed uh, really post Luke May and it, it's something that I'm curious to see how it it fits in for for North Carolina because um, you know, if he starts off <laughs> the first few games like 0 for 10 or 1 for 11 or something, there might be a conversation where it's like, hey, maybe they're leaving you open for a reason. So, and so I, it's going to be really important for him, like you said, to make take advantage of the opportunities he gets so that he gets more of them moving throughout the season. Um, but, you know, to wrap up Kessler, I do think, like I said, he's in the right tier. Um, I, I probably would have if I was doing this, and again, all due respect to the guys who do it, but I, I would have probably had them, you know, between 15 and 20, somewhere around that. All right, guys. Next up is someone that is very near and dear to the Coast to Coast podcast, and that is Mr. R.J. Davis. He has become kind of a fan favorite, and he saw a big jump in the rankings. He's now number 53, up from number 70. And, you know, I think R.J. is just one of these players that – if he was three inches taller, you're talking about him being a borderline five-star guy just because of his ability to simply put the ball through the hoop there. But, you know, he is listed as 5'11". We know about <laughs> what that probably means his true height is, but still, you're talking about a sub-six-foot guy, but, but he's still right there at that number 53. And, Sean, I mean – you know, what more can we say about R.J. Davis at this point other than I think everyone is super excited for when he arrives in Chapel Hill? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I might be, you know, most excited about him, um, you know, and I, and I really like love and I, I love watching, watching Sharp and, and like Kessler, but uh, I've, you know, really been drawn to him on the, on the film. And, you know, I think for, for him, I think 53 is about right for, for months. We've talked about how he was definitely going to outplay his, his ranking. Um, and, and, you know, at the seventies or whatever it was before, without a doubt, I still think he'll outplay the 53 even from uh, early on. And as you mentioned, if he was six two six three, you know, maybe we're talking about him being the, the league guard or the top, top 10 pick um, because you can, you know, when watching him, once again, really good shooter, similar to love, comfortable from NBA three-point line just off the catch and shoot so you know I think we saw like with Christian Keeling for instance this year you know just that little adjustment from the three-point line was big for some players Um, but for him he's already comfortable shooting from deep really quick with you know I'd say these one-two dribble moves of in between the legs crossover and create space or he's gonna have trouble is finishing at the rim with his size but he's able to you know with his quickness um, you know, create space for, for a shot and, and he can fill it up. You know, I think the other thing is that he really likes to push the ball. So once again, he was playing point guard in AU and, and they were trying to run every chance um, they got. So for him, you know, the majority of his possessions in AU were in, in transition. And then the second and most was pick and roll ball handler followed by a spot up shooter. And you know, if I could screenshot the the synergy uh, to you guys right now, but, you know, everything just says excellent, 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 and he's in the 90th plus percentile. So, you know, I, I think he'll be, be really good. Once again, it's the size that's going to keep him from being a one and done and keep him maybe from finishing at a high level, but he'll be able to get his shot off. He'll be able to create, and that was something we didn't have this year. All right, Sherelle, go ahead and wax poetic for a couple minutes about R.J. Davis. I know that you've been very impressed with him. 
Yeah, I am. It's, I think it's funny. Uh, like Carolina fans, if they're honest with themselves, like they love RJ Davis because they know he's going to be there a few years. So <laughs> to me, it's kind of hilarious. Like I, it's a part of it. Um, and um, you know, being five eleven, you know, it, it's he's a player who North Carolina always has trouble against, and that's become a bit of a cliche over the years. Like, oh, that kind of they they need to recruit him because he's the kind of player who drops thirty five on Carolina. But I, I do think he's a little bit different from the guards that Roy Williams has recruited uh, in the last little bit um, <clears throat> stylistically. And again, um, not saying body style, but just the way they play. He really does remind me of Joel Berry. Um, obviously, Joel Berry was built like a safety. You know, his father had a background in weightlifting, and R.J. Davis is not that. But just the ability to, um, for both of them, to we talked about shot creation and space creation are, are the buzzwords now. And both of those guys are, are good at that. I think Davis is actually better at space creation uh, than Berry. I think they'll probably be equal shooters, you know, starting off as freshmen, and then we'll see w- what happens from there. But just the ability for him to – um, to score and someone who can handle the ball who can score, who can push tempo, who can do all those things. Uh, having two of those players is something Carolina hasn't had in a while. Cause if you think about it last year, you know, Leaky Black was kind of forced into starting slash backup point guard duty um, because there was a transfer and because Jeremiah Francis was injured the beginning part of the season. Um, and then if you look the year before, uh, it was basically all Kobe White because, you know, Seventh Woods was injured and he didn't play particularly well as a sophomore. Um, so and then same thing with Joel Berry. The year um, his final season uh, was, I guess, Seventh Woods sophomore season. He didn't play particularly well that year. Jalik Felton was there, too. He was gone after 11 games. So they haven't had really a, a backup primary facilitator who could um, really come in and you felt comfortable with in, in some time. Uh, really, I would say probably since Nate Britt left was the last time they really had a reserve point <laughs> lead guard that people felt, you know, decent with. Um, so R.J. Davis, if he's not starting at the two, he'll even if he starts at the two, he'll have a ton of minutes uh, at the point guard spot. And just like I said, that that ability to be a threat offensively and to be competent as a ball handler um, and to be able to find people and to be able to run the offense is just invaluable um, to give love arrest or you know to to have two ball handlers on the court you can really push tempo then because love is an excellent finisher so maybe those two are on the court at the same time and uh davis handles the ball and, and love goes off the ball and gets out in transition um but overall rj davis a great scorer I, I just you know i said it when he signed and i don't mean to be hyperbolic but i do think he's one of those players if he stays healthy he'll end up being like top 10 at Carolina scoring all the time because he just seems like a player who's gonna his freshman year he'll score eight or nine points a game and then the rest of his career he'll be up around 14 or 15 and it doesn't seem like that's a lot but once you do that over like 120 games you'll you'll be right there um so I think he has that kind of upside um I think he has a again just like Sharp a, a very high floor and maybe not as high of a ceiling as someone like Caleb Love but he's always going to be good and he should be at Carolina for a while So, guys, let's go ahead and move on real quick to Puff Johnson. He was someone that dropped down, I think, over all the UNC recruits. Puff actually had the biggest drop. He is now at 62, when before he was number 41. And I think that there's a pretty big caveat to Puff's drop, and that is his team was just an absolute mess last year. And the 247 analyst even brought that up that when they watched him, he just wasn't very good. But it was just – there was a lot of outside 
factors there contributing to his poor play. I think Puff is still someone that Carolina fans are going to be excited about, but you know, I don't quite think the expectations are for him to come in and have maybe that instant impact like we're talking about with RJ Davis. So, you know, taking all that into consideration, Sean, when you saw that Puff was now in the 60s rather than the 40s, did it really come as much of a surprise to you? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that did, and, and I feel the the rankings pretty, you know, fairly accurate because, as you mentioned at, at Hillcrest, you know, they're on TV a lot, and usually he was. You could find him sitting sitting in the corner waiting for somebody to pass him the ball, and he didn't often get the ball on that team. Um, but you know, when you look at guys, I think normally in the '60s, they're really not going to produce a whole lot their freshman year. But you know, for him. What does he do well? He, he can shoot the ball, and he's got size for a wing. So, once again, he's not going to be Cam as a senior, but I think, you know, he can probably outplay that ranking as a freshman and definitely down the road of being a, you know, a consistent player because he's got size and he can shoot. And, you know, especially last year, one of the worst shooting teams in the country, you need shooting. So, um, you know, I, I think the ranking's fair, but I could see him outplaying that. And at the same time, some of the guys around him, uh, you know, I think are pretty good. Of Ian Martinez is 59. Really like watching him play. He'll be at Utah. You know, Kenyon Martin is going pro, so maybe he gets lost. But there's some good players right in that range. And, you know, they could easily end up being a lot better than, than maybe some of the other guys in the 50s or, or 40s down the road. So I think it's fair. And at the same time, he brings, uh, you know, one skill set that everybody needs, especially UNC. Yeah, and – I think Puff is someone who uh, does well with structure and Hillcrest prep, you know, honestly just didn't have structure from everyone we talked to. And I, you know, I would say this to them, if they asked me, it was a mess of a program. Um, you know, they went through several head coaches and the chemistry was bad and, you know, there's everything about the program last year was not good. And just, it didn't help Puff Johnson advance, which is the reason he went out there because he wanted to play a national schedule. He wanted to kind of ramp up against competition and he did those things, but his team was just just woefully incompetent and the program was as well. So I think that that's a huge part of it. I, I think he'll be a much better player like he was last AAU season um, when he gets in a program that has structure, that roles are defined and, and all those things. And like Sean said, I mean, we keep harking back to it, but anyone who can shoot is going to have a path to playing time at Carolina next year just because of how much they struggled. And um, I know some people say, well, they were okay when Brandon Robinson and Cole Anthony were, were playing well. Well, Brandon Robinson is graduated and Cole Anthony's going to the NBA. So there's literally no one who shot well from three last year on Carolina's roster who played, you know, coming back last year who, who, who uh, played last season. So um, I, I think that's somewhere he can – uh, really thrive. And then he is a tall wing, like Sean said. Now, we, we've heard from people around the program that he seemed to be more of a, a, a guy to develop it, you know, maybe year two, you start to see some things in year three, he really puts it together. But uh, I think all bets are off this, this upcoming season, because they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that last year doesn't happen again. And if it means Puff Johnson starting, so be it. If it means Puff Johnson playing five minutes a game, so be it. So everything is on the table. And I think that's a positive sign for all of the freshmen because they, they have an easy way to go in and, and, and earn minutes, like we said, and that's to show um, their shooting prowess. Yeah, I think for, for him, I mean, it was kind of like playing on an AAU team. And if you're on an AAU team and you're not a, you know, either a big or a primary ball handler, it's easy to get lost when you're, you know, when you don't have that, 
isolation ability or ability to create your own own shot. And not saying he doesn't have some of that, but you know, at, at UNC, you put him on the wing, you put him in in you know the secondary break, and and there's a role where he doesn't have to take five dribbles to create a shot. You know, there, there's going to be offense for him on the wing. So I think in terms of just the fit that he was in, just wasn't for him and, and probably personality and playing style. But yeah, I think you get him in a structured offense and, and things can work out. But as Sheryl mentioned, you know, not going to be Cam, you know, not going to be his brother right off the bat. But, you know, that took a few years for Cam as well. And, and he's got the shot. And, and I think we'll, you know, we'll get stronger and more athletic as the years go by. Yeah, just two things to add. Again, Sean makes great points. One, I would encourage everyone to go look at his junior season film from uh, Moon High School in Pennsylvania. I think that is pretty instructive about what he can be in an structured offense. And then the same thing for um, his Ohio Red team from EYBL last year. Uh, I, I think that shows you better kind of what player he is versus what he showed at Hillcrest. And then two, um, in an ideal situation, the way North Carolina's roster is built, they're going to want to try to play bully ball. They're going to want to throw it in the post and just kind of dominate people at the glass, offensive rebound, you know, score that way. Very similar to what the 2017 team was. Because if people look back at that team, it wasn't like there was a bunch of great shooters. It was Joel Berry and Justin Jackson, and that was it. And the rest of it was just kind of, they're going to mash you inside until you, you know, you submit. And if North Carolina is able to play that way this year, think about all the open shots. They're going to be on the wing when teams either decide to double down on uh, Carolina's post guys, um, which would probably be a smart decision because if they don't, they're just going to get dominated inside. So if that happens, then the Puff Johnsons and uh, a player we're going to talk about next uh, of the world and RJ Davis and Caleb Loves, they're going to have as many open shots as they can take. And it's just a matter of, of knocking them down at a, you know, even an average rate, I think, will be fine if North Carolina's bigs play the way we expect them to next year. And also, too, I mean, look, Leaky Black actually has a surprisingly decent-looking shot. I know his percentages last year weren't that great. I see you shaking your, your head, Sean, but, uh, I mean, look, I've seen worse, put it that way. I mean, it's something that, that Leaky can work on. If he can just get consistent, I think that Sherelle brings up a great point that there are going to be open looks. Um, but clearly, though, Roy Williams wanted to have shooters. And it was a great segue into our last guy here, Mr. Kerwin Walton, who saw a big-time rise uh, from a number standpoint. And he is now within the top 100. He is 91, where before he was 141. Walton was, as everyone knows, the last player to join this class. But just looking at what the analysts say about him, where he fits on the team, I think even though he is a borderline top 100 guy, he's someone that Carolina fans were really, really, really excited to get. And that is because of one reason, his ability to shoot. So, I mean, Sean, when you're looking at Kerwin, we've talked about him a lot in the podcast, but for his first two seasons, does the discussion really start and end there with just, he's a shooter? Yeah. I mean, I, I think for him, it's going to, it can be interesting to to see, you know, he shot the ball really well on the Adidas circuit and, you know, everybody talks that he can, he can do more things, but I do think, you know, he can handle the ball and he can get a, a little bit to the basket, but I think at the ACC level, that's going to be difficult for him. So freshman year, you know, there, there is going to be playing time available um, at certain spots, especially with, with coach Williams trying to figure things out. So it's not like he's just going to be off the bench, you know, sitting at the end of the bench, but, there will be some opportunities and if he's able to hit, hit down shots, that's going to lead to 
more opportunities. But, you know, once again, somebody in the 90s, no matter what school they're at, usually not going to, you know, make a big dent as a freshman. Uh, but once again, there are going to be opportunities. And, you know, I think for, for Leakey, you know, shot well under 30% from three. Um, and when he was playing, teams would sag off of him. Um, now, I think he does a lot of other things well. So this, I think both Walton and Johnson will will push him, you know, both in practice as well as having to, to play well. But once again, it gives – gives uh, the team two more options off the bench if, if people aren't playing well to, to try them out, you know, let one fly from the wing and, and see, and see how it goes. So, you know, I don't, I don't have high expectations, but a guy who's, who's long um, and can shoot. So once again, it's better than having, you know, somebody six foot one or six foot two, that's not that athletic and maybe he can shoot a little bit. So, you know, he can guard a few positions and he can shoot the ball and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and Sherelle, I think that was one thing that the staff really liked about Kerwin Walton is that he has a skill that he is already at a college level. And really, I think what they're looking at him is he's going to be someone that's going to be at Carolina for several seasons and hopefully is a player that the coaching staff can really improve upon. I mean, that's kind of, I think, really the analysis that we can get into as far as, as Walton goes just as he's entering to Chapel Hill. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, as time goes on, especially I had to get too far into the future, but North Carolina's going to lose a lot after this upcoming season, um, especially in the backcourt. I mean, the backcourt more than likely remaining is going to be RJ Davis and Corbin Walton. Um, if you can, if, and that's if you consider Walton a true two, I know some people say two, three with him, same thing with Leaky Black, two, three, but he's going to be another person. Oh, I'm sorry, Anthony Harris as well. I apologize. So they're gonna have three guys coming back kind of, uh, true guard so um he's he's someone who i think will will follow a track very similar uh to like someone like kenny williams someone ranked low in in the top 100 uh who had really good offers despite the ranking who uh maybe doesn't get a ton of time as a freshman uh and then who really starts to come on as a sophomore people forget kenny williams started the first I think it was like 15 games of the national championship season because Theo Pinson was hurt and he played really well during uh, that time, especially in uh, uh, the Stanford game heading up to Maui. And there were other couple games out on the West coast that he really played well in. Uh, so people forget that he was starting as a sophomore. Um, and I think Walton has that potential. I, and to me, I think of, of all the players, honestly, I think he might be the one and it's, it's because his ranking is a little lower to outplay his ranking just because is uh, hate to, you know harping on it but <laughs> like they need shooters they need people who can shoot from the outside Roy Williams keeps talking about how he wants shot makers not shot takers and you know Walton has proven that he is a shot maker and the fact that he's 6'6 six, 6'7 six, six, and the fact that we took what we talked about it, you know there'll be open looks on the wing uh one thing and Sean we, we can go back and forth on this but we've always talked about kind of the the philosophy of wings at Carolina it's like okay with the way Roy Williams recruits point guards and, and how dynamic they have to be and the way he likes to throw the ball into the post, what's the, the greatest skill that a North Carolina wing can have? And every single time we're like, make threes because they're going to have open looks and Walton can do it and Johnson can do it. So I think there really is a chance for both of those guys to get more playing time than we think. I, I personally think it is a open competition for between um, Andrew Playtech and Kerwin Walton and Leaky Black and Puff Johnson and if Anthony Harris is healthy Harris and RJ Davis for like you know those two the two and three spots just because 
you know, last season wasn't great. And um, they want balance. And you can't have balance when you have multiple non-shooters on the court at the same time. So I think that it plays well into um, the opportunities for Walton and Johnson. And that's something that's not taken into account in rankings is not only the skill set, but also the opportunity and the system at the particular school and how that meshes with um, a particular player. So I think that's why Walton has a real, real chance. I mean, it's not far-fetched to say that Kerwin Walton could be starting for North Carolina in the fall. I don't think it'll happen, but it's not far-fetched at all just because you, you look at the roster, you're like, well, they need a backup point guard, so R.J. Davis should be the backup point guard. And then it's a matter of, well, can he beat out – is Anthony Harris going to be healthy? And at the beginning of the season, it's questionable, right? So if it's questionable, it's like, okay, well, Kerwin Walton has to beat out Andrew Playtech. And that is something that I think he can do. So it's, it's, not, it's not out of the realm of possibility at all for Puff Johnson or Kerwin Walton to be starting in the fall. Um, so all that to say, I think both of those guys have a great chance of out, out uh, playing in the ranking. All right, guys, let's go ahead and take our last commercial break. When we get back, let's have a quick conversation about the team rankings and how those were also impacted by the latest shift in the player ranking. And then we will end the podcast with a quick tease of what Inside Carolina has coming up in the near future. So stay tuned. We will be right back after this. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. And we're back with the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. John Siegley here with Sean Moran and Sean McMillan. As I mentioned before we went to break, the team rankings also saw some movement after the individual player rankings were updated. And the one that Carolina fans enjoyed the most was the fact that UNC now has the number two overall class ahead of the Duke Blue Devils. Carolina had 69.89 points. Duke had 69.85. Razor thin margin there but it still was good enough for Carolina to get the number two class. And I just want to hear from both of you guys very briefly because, you know, we heard maybe a couple of years ago that there were some concerns that Coach Williams may have lost his recruiting edge and, you know, people weren't sure how well his pitch was being received by the top-tier elite guys. But, I mean, in this class alone, Carolina got three five-stars. And, you know, we saw Caleb Love, who's now a top-ten overall player, um, I think that Coach Williams has definitely shown that he can still recruit at the highest, highest level at UNC. So, I mean, what does, the, what does it mean to you guys that Carolina now has the, the number two class? Sherelle, let's start with you for this one. Uh, not a ton, to be honest. <laughs> like, I think it's good for fans. Um, you know, I have some friends who 
when they saw passing Duke in the recruiting rankings to them was like the greatest thing in the world. Um, I think more so it just says that they nailed the class, which they had to do. Um, Shot, I think we've been talking about this since like 2015. Like, man, they have to nail the 2016 class. It's like <laughs> they have to nail the 2017 class. And every year we say that. And for the most part, um, I think they've done that. And in particular, in this class, they set out a long, long time ago, probably about three years ago, to add offense, to add shooting ability. Um, and frankly, when they got Dayron Sharp, we kind of said, well, how are they going to sign another big guy? Because they've already got the three bigs from 17, and then they got Sharp. Like, nobody else is going to sign up to be there. And then, you know, they, they convinced Walker Kessler in kind of one of the surprises of the decade to come to UNC. So for me, the, the, the ranking of the second class says more about them meeting their needs and, and to some point exceeding them by continuing the one-and-done, uh, probable one-and-done lead guard uh, run that they're on. And then by signing uh, the best two bigs they've signed, I mean, uh, just off the top of the head, I mean, they haven't signed two bigs in a class like this in a long time. I should have checked on this before I said it, but I guess all the way back to Hansborough's year. I mean, I guess it's Brendan Wright and Deion Thompson. Um, And and Thompson wasn't rated as highly as the the pair weren't rated as highly. Like Wright was a top 10 player, but Thompson was more of a top 50, whereas these guys are both top 25. So I guess it's kind of the same. Um, But you know, Kennedy and Isaiah were top 50 and then Isaiah was top 15. So it, it just, they haven't had a, a duo like this coming into college in quite some time. And then you stack that on to Garrison Brooks, who is playing like a, you know, top 25 type player as going to be a preseason first team, all ACC more than likely. And then Armando Baycott, who was a top 25 and they have the most talented post rotation they've had in a long, long time. I mean, I guess we'd have to go back to John Henson, Tyler Zeller, um, you know, th- that group with, um, and then with uh, Harrison. But even then, you know, there weren't a lot of quality backups for Hinton and, and Zeller. It was just kind of those two. So, I mean, you had to go back a long way for them to have four um, or three really highly rated bigs and then a fourth who was really good as well. So that, to me, again, so all that said, <laughs> the class <laughs> is good because they met their needs and they got players that fit their system. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Shiro, as you said, we've been, talking about this for a while, but I, you know, I really think it was the, the 2016, but really the 2017 class that they didn't really hit on. And that's, you know, you, you usually see it a few years out and that's what we saw this past year where they had five players and, you know, we're, we're barely coming in, you know, top 20, top 30 recruiting. Um, but then, you know, you see Kentucky and Duke really number one and two year in and year out, you had Memphis make a splash last year, but, um, yeah, you know, it's nice to see Carolina back up in there. And, you know, part of that is getting six recruits, but also they, they identified people that were attainable. Um, you know, they did go after Cade Cunningham and we always knew that was going to be a long shot with his brother, but they didn't waste time on Jalen Green. I thought they were going to offer him right after the, the summer period, uh, when they watched him in California, they didn't really waste time on, uh, Todd who, you know, right from the back, back area. So. You know, they found Kayla Love, who jumped up a lot and, you know, now predict, projected top 10 pick, and nobody projected that at the beginning. And, you know, they were able to swoop in and get Kessler. So, you know, it's a very, very strong class. You know, good to see them up in the top, you know, two or three. Does that, as we've seen with Kentucky and Duke over the years, 
you know, they win the recruiting battles and the recruiting championships in the spring, but that hasn't really meant anything come the tournament, um, you know, for a while. So it's more those veteran teams. So I think that's something to, you know, keep, keep in everybody's mind, especially this year where it's still going to be a young, inexperienced team for the most part. But at least now there's kind of a talent surplus. And, you know, the kind of th- the one thing that cracks me up is looking at Kentucky and they're literally bringing in, uh, you know, nine guys with uh, six recruits and three transfers. Um, so, you know, at least there's still some continuity at UNC with the six recruits, but also some players coming back. Talk about continuity. That's another good thing with this class is that you expect at least three of the guys to be, or to me, four. I would expect at least four of the guys to be back as sophomores. And then of that group, maybe two or three are back as juniors and seniors. So it not only is a class for next year, but I think it's a class for the next two or three years. Absolutely. Yeah, That's- we saw that even just going back, back a few years. You know, they had Kobe White and Naz Little and, and Leakey. Um, so I think the class was rated number nine, but you had two really five, you know, five-star highly rated recruits, but two of them are gone after a year. And now you're just left with the one who was, you know, sub 50. So that class didn't really have that much of an impact outside of that first year where, yeah, hopefully this will have that impact over several years. Yeah. And, you know, who knows how the recruiting landscape is going to look in the future. I mean, with the NBA weighing the one and done rule, um, you've got the NBA G League now going after guys. I mean, we saw they went after Caleb Love, who turned down a G League contract. So, I mean, yeah, getting guys that are that have the upside now in this class really could pay dividends two, three seasons in the future. Um, I think everyone is everyone that is a Tar Heel fan is very, very happy with this class. Guys, let's wrap it up with this. Um, Sherelle, go ahead and give us a little bit of a teaser about what Inside Carolina has coming in the pipeline. Yeah, so uh, we're hoping to launch our uh, insider off-season player profiles. Uh, this kind of it takes the place we used to do in the weekly scoop each week, um, something called um, uh, progress or off-season report. So, some nomenclature like that, basically saying what um, a, trust, a couple of trusted basketball sources uh, thought that each individual player needed to improve on and you know, kind of looking back at their season and looking forward. So this year we thought, well, we have – you know, experts and, you know, kind of every part of basketball. So we put together most of our basketball staff. We have Greg Barnes, who um, contributed. He's kind of giving the point of view from the beat writer. We have Sean Moran, who's in it. He's kind of giving a, a scouting and synergy uh, statistics kind of feel. We have Adrian Atkinson. He's giving more of an of a analytics deep dive. We have me and Ben, who are talking about how the class of 2020 impacts these returning players. And then for some of them, uh, we have uh, a trusted basketball insider, we'll, we'll call them. Someone who can give us kind of a, an unfiltered, raw opinion, um, who isn't in <clears throat> the Carolina bubble necessarily. So we think it's a good way to kind of comprehensively look at the returning players. Because honestly, um, you know, we, we're only doing five because – you know, Jeremiah Francis and Brendan Huffman left, and Sterling Manley is kind of TBD when he'll be healthy. So that leaves Anthony Harris, who is also TBD as far as when he'll be healthy, Andrew Playtech, Leahy Black, Garrison Brooks, and Armando Baycott. So, um, you know, I think um, those guys, even more so than the freshmen, are going to be the ones who determine exactly how far North Carolina goes because 
you know, if, if Leakey can expand his game, if Armando Baycott can expand his game, if Garrison Brooks can kind of just keep doing what he's doing, if Andrew Playtech can help provide some depth and some shot making, then, you know, the, the, the chances of this team going further um, or going far in the tournament, I think, are, are a lot higher than if it's the freshman coming in having to do anything. So we'll be looking at that and hope to have some, some good conversation just about uh, the players who are returning. Nice. Everyone be on the lookout for that. Sean, what about you with the Sean Mo Hoops podcast? I saw you had one was about maybe a week, week and a half ago, or uh, what do you got coming up? Anything planned, man? Um, hopefully a few things was pretty strong at the beginning of quarantine with uh, Josh Pastner and some coaches on the West Coast, BYU, LMU, but I've been a little quiet, but plan on getting that going. Um, hopefully this week um, with, with a, a different take, I'm hoping to have on a player that played overseas um, and kind of his take on the coronavirus and the adjustment from college. So, um, you know, I think that could be interesting, especially given some of UNC players uh, where they've been ending up over overseas the last few years. Nice. Great stuff, guys. Well, we will go ahead and wrap up this week's Coast Coast podcast with that. Thank you all very much for talking with me and we will speak again in about a week. You guys have a good rest of your weekend. You too. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.